Welcome into another episode of the Greatest People You've Never Met podcast. Today's guest uh, joining us via FaceTime all the way from San Antonio, Mr. Ted Slauson. Ted, thank you so much for taking time out of your life to join us today. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so uh, I guess just give uh, the people a quick little background of yourself, who you are, without giving away the whole suspenseful story. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I, during the Bob Barker era of The Price is Right, uh, enjoyed watching the show and learned at an early age that if you watched regularly, you could kind of uh, track the prices of the prizes and kind of made that into a hobby and ended up helping quite a few people win when I went to tapings of the show. Yeah, it's a pretty incredible story. Um, and the... Uh... Ted's actually the feature of a documentary. I keep wanting to say it's a Netflix documentary, but I do know that it's just on Netflix. Uh, it's called The Perfect Bid, and I had watched it a couple weeks back, and I saw it, and then I reached out to Ted because I thought the story was just so amazing, and it's such an iconic part of American history. And so I guess I just want to bring it back to, you know, when I was younger – uh, growing up in southern Minnesota, the only time I really got to watch The Price is Right was a snow day, you know, and then that was a real exciting time for myself. So I guess for you, when when did you really fall in love with the show and, and kind of stake, stake your place in that? Uh, it started for me way back when I was about seven, uh, when the show was probably in its first year. And the story I always tell is that, um, you know, we had one one TV in our house and I had five older brothers and sisters and we were off from school and they wanted to watch the new prices. Right. And I had not, I'd seen commercials and it didn't like strike me as a show that seemed interesting. So I didn't really want to watch it, but the alternative was, you know, go to my room and do nothing. So I watched the show and kind of got um, pulled in by, you know, the different games and the different prizes and everything that was going on. Um, so that's kind of where it all started. And my brother and I used to play The Price is Right. Um, <clears throat> it's kind of an embarrassing story, but we used to play. I mean, I had a bunch of Fisher-Price toys as a kid, and I had a lot of the little people. So yeah. we made our own little miniature stage and used all the Fisher-Price stuff as the prizes and things. And um, so we, I mean, we played it at an, when I was, you know, probably seven, eight, nine. Sure. No, I mean, not an embarrassing story at all. I used to have a ton of WWE action figures, and then I used to line them <laughs> up like everybody was around watching. Uh, so uh, I guess when did you, you know, really get into finding out, like, the prize, the, pri the prize, you know, money or the value of the prizes was the same or it was really something that you could track? I think a lot of people, when they find interest in things, and especially when it comes to numbers, you know, I think, like, a lot of people would relate to sports, right? And especially in this new world of – Sports gambling and all that, I think there's a lot of, you know, analytics and stuff that you can just go and find out. And, I mean, the documentary is incredibly insightful and it, it pours into it. But just give everybody a little background on, like, how you or, you know, why you decided to start keeping track. So, yeah, um, originally, I think my brother was the probably the one who, I mean, he inspired me in a lot of ways. I think one day he said, you know oh, I've seen that grandfather clock, it's $1,000. Or, you know, he pointed mm -hmm. out something and he was right. And I realized, oh, I guess if you pay attention, you can 
um, do well on the show. And so I kind of decided that someday if the show stayed on the air, I would want to be a, try to be a contestant. And if that happened, I know because I have the luck of Charlie Brown that I'd be the last person called for yeah. the day. And I just have the one chance to get up on stage and I'd have to bid first. Right. So I figured the only way to kind of not even guarantee, but to increase your likelihood of getting up on stage is know as many of the prices as you can so that if you're in that position, you don't get stuck as one of the contestants not appearing on stage. And that's your one shot at the prices, right? Sure. So that's kind of how that started. Yeah, so I think that's, I mean, kind of impressive. Like you just basically decided you were going to be ready for that time, right? Ready for the moment, uh, which is is impressive. So um, you couldn't go on until you were 18, so you started watching when you were 7. So it was 11 years of tracking uh, this data, I guess, in uh, probably the very early stages of, like, Microsoft Excel, uh, I would assume, oh. or paper notebooks (laughs) um so the actual tracking probably didn't start until the late 70s i want to say um my brother and i kind of altered our our prices right game that we would play where one of us would tape record on a cassette tape a show and then act it out for the other one so the one who didn't get to watch the show really didn't have much to do except observe what was going on um so that was kind of where we started, I guess, really getting more into the actual prizes and prices. But then I remember I just started recording things on binder paper uh, because I didn't have a computer yet. Sure. And then uh, the story that I also like to tell is that Christmas of 82, um, we were opening, you know, the, we're down to the last few gifts and I got this kind of large box and I started pulling the paper off of it. And it was a Texas Instruments home computer. And the first thing I thought was, why did my parents get me a computer? I have not expressed the slightest interest in having one. Right. Well, my dad says, <laughs> yeah, I thought you could use that to inventory my train collection. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, so it's a gift that comes with an assignment. Thanks, Dad. Yeah. Um, and his train collection, if you – I mean, it's mammoth. And – um even once I learned how to program and how to like start keeping track of everything in his collection, it still took me months, I think, to get through the whole thing. But at that point, then I was able to start um, writing my own programs of some of the games on The Price is Right. And once I got a kind of a primitive PC that interfaced with that computer a few years later, then I was able to start putting things in a database. And then it got a lot more efficient because I wasn't, you know, hand scrawling things on paper right we also got our, our first vcr so if i wanted if i needed to go back and re-watch something i could but you know if it's on tv you can't do that yeah so i mean it's crazy i think a lot of i mean the days of the vcr are obviously long gone and it's just i mean kind of funny to just hear you talk about how you got into that because it's such it seems like ancient technology you know i'm 30 so i feel like i was one of the luckier groups of people where we just kind of kept evolving with that technology, right? You know, like we came in and so uh, just kind of interesting. So uh, were you 18 exactly the first time you went out to a taping of the show? I was 18 and a half. Uh, I was in college that year. So um, 
and that I guess I didn't really think about going during the winter break, which was, you know, about six weeks long. Sure. But my friend who I, I've known since childhood, she and I had planned a trip to L.A. for that summer. And so one of the things I told her was, you know, I'm definitely going to want to see the, a taping of The Price is Right because I've been waiting all these years to do it. So she agreed to go, and she was the one who quizzed me on my hard copy lists of prices on the way to L.A. And uh, like I say in the documentary, to this day, she'll still complain while I had to quiz you on all those prices. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that kind of kicked off a string. And how many... I mean, from there, how many recordings did you go to before you finally got on? Because there is one where you kind of were on without being on, right? So right. maybe touch on that a little bit if you could. So the first seven tapings, well, the first, I guess, six or seven, um, I was only able to go like once a year uh, because either, you know, my job or I didn't really have the money to go very frequently. Um, but about 1990 is when I started realizing I could go by myself. I was always kind of feeling like I needed to go with somebody. Sure. And I think it was the spring of 90 where I went down and thought, I'm just going to sit here by myself and see if they'll just let me in. And I was like, they did. They don't care. They're just trying to fill an audience. They don't care if you're there by yourself. Right. So now it's like unleashing the beast. Now every time I have time off from school and I have enough money to you know, stay in a hotel, I'm on my way to L.A. to go see a taping. And so then it was that July <laughs> When I became infamous because um, <clears throat> I'd always been prepared. I was always yelling out prices. No one was ever listening. I did finally get a contestant, um, the taping part of this one that I'm about to talk about, who I know was listening to me because she did a couple exact things exactly the way I was saying them. Or, you know, I, I yelled out 18.5 for her showcase and she bid 18.5. Like she didn't say it as 18,000. She said it exactly the way I said it. Right. And then she went over. But that's another story. Um, so that very next taping, I went and, you know, I feel like I'm going to help people if I can. They show the first item up for bids. It's a home gym. And I know it's 1250. And as soon as Rod Roddy finished his description, I yelled out 1250. And I'm in the fourth, fifth row somewhere close up front. And Bob was just like, well, there's the first bit of the price is right. And everyone laughs and <laughs> He's like, you didn't, you four haven't even said a word. And he goes, you know, um, that will go to the one of you four who bids nearest to the actual retail price. And you, sir, have no chance of winning. And they put me on camera and I'm laughing and I'm thinking, dude, in a minute, you're going to regret that you pointed me out. Yeah. <laughs> and so they all bid and he pulled the tag out of the, of the sleeve and I could see his eyebrows shoot up from where I was sitting. And he was like, stand up out there. And he had me stand up he read the price it was 12.50 and so he kind of made a big deal out of it they played the first game they went to commercial and usually what would happen is they would kind of reintroduce bob and he would welcome everyone to the show and thank them for coming well instead he just came down from the turntable and was just like theodore you watch the prices right and he was just interacting with me and it was like the rest of the audience he didn't care about um i i'm sure he did i yeah. just say that um and then what was really funny, and to this day, it's like you, when you see it in person, you get it. that That's why he was the host, and he did such a great job for so long. Yeah. Susan in Contestants Row turned around right before they went back on the air, and she mouthed the words, help me. And I kind of 
you know, assured her, I'll, I'll be happy to help you. And Bob looked at me, looked at her, and they came back on the air, and he was like, I want you to know that during that commercial message, Susan was just overtly flirting with Theodore out here. <laughs> and everybody started laughing. And I just thought, that was amazing that he picked that up and, boom, just turned it into a, a laugh, which it was. I mean, it was right. funny. And then I was able to help her, not with that item up for bids, because, of course, now I've got someone listening, and it's a rug that I've never seen on the show before. Uh, next item up for bid, she got on the nose, but then she misunderstood the, I guess, the help I was trying to give her in her game. And so she ended up going over on the check game. Um, and then I helped another person get up on stage with a perfect bid. And then I helped someone, I don't know if I'd say I helped her lose a car. She kind of didn't, wasn't really doing what I was saying, but, um, and then that was the day that Bob pointed out that they like to put different options on the cars to fool people like me. Yeah. So I was like, okay, so when I go home, I'm going to just start tracking car options. Thanks for that tip. Yep. That's impressive. So, uh, did anybody... When you screamed the twelve five as soon as the show started, did anybody bid that? No, the last, uh, the first four contestants, the guy on the end bid twelve hundred, and he said, "When Bob said, well, if you had bid twelve fifty, you would have had it on the nose." He said, "Oh, I thought that was a little high." <laughs> that's so. I mean, it's just funny because that's kind of obviously how it started, and then it, and it rolls from there. And so after that episode, uh, that recording, how many more till you were able to get on? Actually. So, there were that was number eight, and it was twenty four is when I was finally picked. So, so over the course of the next couple of years, I went sixteen to sixteen tapings. Okay, and so um, I mean, what was that? I mean, you've obviously, I think a lot of people do a lot of things, right? You know, you can go to a baseball game a million times and hope to catch a ball, and that foul ball is never going to seek you out, right? I mean, were you ever kind of at that point where, like, man, this is just never going to happen for me? I'm just not going to get drawn. They're not going to say <laughs> Theodore, you know. Um, there was always, always every show, especially the ones where I went by myself and I didn't have anyone to talk to. There's always that feeling of, Oh, I came all this way again. I didn't get picked. Yeah. It's just getting so, you know, but I, I would still go cause I enjoyed it. It was sure. being there in person is a totally different experience from seeing it on TV. Um, and it was just, there was something about it that kind of kept drawing me back to go. And I figured, you know, maybe eventually they will finally get around to picking me. Right. And that day finally happened. Does it cost anything to, like, be a part of the audience? It's a completely free deal? No, it's completely free to get into the show. You just got to wait in line, and it's the first X amount of people get in. And yes. Do they record multiples on, on a day, or is it just one recording for the day? Or how does that work? So when it, the – I don't know what year it changed, but when Bob Barker got a little older, they changed the way they were doing the taping schedule, but – when I was chosen, from the time I started going to when I was chosen, they would tape usually Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and they would do it like a early afternoon taping and a late afternoon taping. Okay. And then um, toward when Bob started getting older and was getting closer to retirement, they would just do the two shows on Monday, and they would then they would do a Tuesday, a Wednesday, and a Thursday. Gotcha. But not two shows. Sure. That makes sense. So I guess just talk me into, uh, you know, the episode of hearing your name get called and kind of what, because, uh, I mean, I believe, and maybe I'm off, uh, was it that episode or an episode prior where someone extremely sitting close to you had been called? To get on stage, like maybe like a oh. seat partner or 
Yes. It was, <coughs> excuse me. It was almost like on purpose, the producer was picking the person right next to me. That's what it started to feel like. Yeah. Because it happened to at least two that I know of off the top of my head. And I want to say three. And every time I'd be like, well, okay, I know this person's going to listen to me. But on the other hand, I'm pretty sure they're not going to pick me because I'm sitting right next to them. And they usually don't do that. Right. But yes, um, I had been there with my partner at the time. And there was an African-American lady who showed up. Her family kind of ditched her. She was there by herself. So we just kind of adopted her for the day. And she was the fourth name called out of the first four contestants. And so I helped her. Got a perfect bid on her item up for bids, which was a microwave range. She won her game, and she got in the showcase, and I gave her a bid that was only $346 away. So she ended up winning her showcase as well. Nice. So uh, I guess then uh, let's just transition into hearing your name called. I mean, after being – that was the 24th time you've been there. I mean, what was kind of like that excitement like for you? I mean, it's got to be like a pinnacle-type moment, I mean, I assume. So I had worn my I'm Here to Kiss Holly shirt, which I had only worn once before. I always brought it with me. I could never get up the nerve to wear it. But I'd been there for a Monday taping and a Tuesday taping, and I was there for Wednesday, and I thought, I'm just going to wear this shirt. I've got nothing to lose. It's, you know, I've been here three days in a row. And so then I started thinking, you know, how do I, what do I say to the producer? He's heard me say probably pretty much the same things 23 times. Well, how do I say this? How do I get him, you know, interested or whatever? So when he got to me, he always, always would welcome me back after that show where I became infamous and (coughs) excuse me. um, He welcomed me back and I don't remember exactly what he said. Tell me something about yourself or, you know, and I basically said the same thing I'd said the last couple of days, which is I'm, still a middle school math teacher and I'm still here on my longest vacation. Um, I don't remember how I said it, but then it was like, as far as today goes, forget the refrigerator, forget the new car. This is why I'm here. And I pointed to my shirt and he laughed and that startled me because he had never, ever reacted to anything I had said in the 24 times I'd been there. So I, for a second was like, do I keep talking or do I wait for him to say something? And I can't remember what happened after that. He may have said something and then he was like, okay. And I think he pointed at me and I, my theory is that his signal each day was different because he always had an assistant taking notes as to who they wanted to pick. So I'm guessing that day, the point meant that he wanted her to write down my number because they might pick me. Um, And then he went on down the line and then, we went into the studio. It was still kind of early and they were playing some music and I was sitting in my seat and all of a sudden I was like, I have to go to the bathroom. And if I don't go now, I'm going to be regretting it when this taping is over. So I'm just going to go and take care of this now before they start, you know, before everyone's in here. Yeah. So I got up and I'm like six people from the end of the row. So I'm like, I'm really sorry. Excuse me. Pardon me. Excuse me. Pardon me. I get out to the aisle. I go back outside. I, you go in the restroom, take care of my business. I come back. I'm like, I'm really sorry. And I, you know, make my way back into my seat. And I said, as a joke, I promise I won't do this again until they call my name and because I'm a smart ass. Right. It was a total yeah. joke. Yeah. And I sat back down and then the assistant who helps the producer 
comes out with a clipboard and she looks over the audience to figure out where the contestants are sitting so that they can tell the cameramen where they need to be kind of pointing and be ready right. to go. So usually I would watch as she did that, but that day I was like, I can't watch this. I don't want to know. I, I don't want to so know. So you kind of had a feeling the whole time. Kind of, sort of. And then it got worse because Rod Roddy came out to do his warm-up, and part of his warm-up is he talks about the opening of the show and how um, you know the lights come on and it you'll feel a tingle all over your body. And he's like, don't let that worry you, so-and-so. That's when we turn on the seats. And then he says, and then it gets really exciting. I start calling out your names. And when he said names, his eyes were locked on me. And I was like, dude, why are you looking at me? Mm-hmm. When you said calling out your, what? why are you? So there were all these kind of signals, but I, <laughs> I was like, I still had kind of convinced myself, I'm just going to be driving home again, not having been chosen. Yeah. And then when they started the show, they always have those cue cards for the first four. I think they do it for all the contestants now, or they maybe not because the audience isn't as big, but um, <clears throat> it's usually pretty hard to hear the names. Uh, I do remember there was one taping where I was in the front row and the first name was Delia. And with all the noise in the audience, it sounded to me like it was Theodore. And sure. then for a second, I was like, oh my God. There. I was like, oh, that's Delia. That's not my name. So that day... They start the opening pan. Rod's doing his little intro, and he gets to the first name, and I clearly heard Theodore Slauson, and I was like, oh, my God, because I never thought I'd be first. So you're the very first one. Yeah. Yes. I always thought I'd be – yes. I always thought I'd be last one into the show, especially once they knew that I knew what I was doing and I knew prices. I thought, they're not going to give me six chances to get up on stage. They're going to be like, hey, we'll pick you whenever. So that was shocking. And then when Bob came out, when he stepped out from behind the doors, he, like, looked right at me and smiled and then crossed the stage. And then, you know, once he said his welcome, he basically said, and Theodore, you made it. And, you know, and then got me to talk about how many times I'd been there. And then, of course, he saw the shirt, so I had to step back so he could read it. And the back, of course, where it says, sorry, Bob, was intentionally for a laugh. And it worked. And he, you know, he turned it into a whole, oh, I... Yours is one kiss I'll pass on. I'm like, yeah, I figured. So when you're kind of, I mean, I guess like leading up to that, uh, is there any familiar faces? Not to draw it away from from getting on here, but uh, is there any familiar faces from waiting in line, going to the shows? Was there other people that loved The Price is Right as much as Ted and, you know, showed up? I mean, similar times? There was a gentleman who he used, I guess he started going with his dad and I think his dad had passed away and he would go, he was probably at a good six, seven, eight tapings that I had gone to. Sure. Um, he actually got picked. I think though for him, it was his 99th time oh my gosh. Uh, in the audience when they finally picked him. Yeah. And he won, um, he won, he actually told me at one point that I inspired him to start paying more attention to the prices because he saw how I was able to like remember them. Sure. And he actually got up on stage with a perfect bit as well. And um, he won his game too. He won like, I don't know, quite a bit of like $6,000, I think worth of prizes. Nice. I remember. So I guess let's, uh, let's just get into, do you remember? I mean, I'm sure you do. What was, what was the item up for bid? 
It's the second item. First item was <clears throat> the set of patio furniture that I didn't know enough about because that manufacturer had three different patio furniture sets. Sure. And so I just went with the lowest of the three. Well, I, I think I could only remember. It may have been the only price I could remember of the three. I don't, I don't remember for sure, but um, so somebody else won that. But then the next item was a recliner, which I knew was five ninety nine, and only one person bid ahead of me. And so I was just praying that he wouldn't bid five ninety nine. So yeah. I'm like, I finally got it, and I don't want somebody else to get it before I have a chance. <clears throat> so, so you got on with the recliner, and then what was the game that you you played? The game was the punch board. Which is, I, I, I'm not familiar with that one. Okay, so it is, um, <clears throat> excuse me, you price four small prizes, um, like the usual higher or lower, you know, this is the wrong price, is the right price, higher or lower. Okay. And with each one you win, you get a punch on a punch board. When there's 50 holes, there are 10 holes that are $50, 10 holes that are 100 10 holes that are 250 10 holes are 500 5 holes are 1000 Three holes are five thousand, and two holes are ten thousand. Okay. So you can win up to ten thousand, and there's also a couple of uh, punch of uh, slips that say second chance on them, and if you get one of those, you actually add on to what you've won. So it was theoretically possible to win ten thousand nine hundred dollars if you you know if you had the right kind of luck going on, but no one's ever done it, of course. Right. Um, no. So uh... so they open the doors. Oh, go ahead. <clears throat> Did you want me to? No, okay. no, no, go ahead. <clears throat> Excuse me. So they open the door to show the prizes that I'm going to price, and Holly is going to be the one modeling them. And as soon as they open the doors and she sees my shirt, she kind of laughed like, oh, wow, he's got a shirt that's all about me. Right. And so Bob is starting to explain the rules, which is like, dude, I've, I watch the show every day. You don't have to tell me the rules, but whatever. Yeah. And he's like, oh, well, Holly's just seen his, well, let go ahead and give him his kiss. So he kind of pushed me in that direction. And then Holly came out and kind of met me. And she really, she just gave me kind of a peck on the cheek and hugged me. Yeah. And as we kind of separated and I thought, okay, you know, I probably have to go back now. And she grabbed my face and, and planted a kiss right on my lips, which, of course, the audience went crazy. Yeah. And then Bob is feigning annoyance saying i've got a show to do you know i just wanted a kiss it's not an engagement he's yanking my arm and i always tell the story about when if you watch any of his old shows um and you notice he he has like his thumb and his middle finger like right on the person's elbow okay and it's well with me it wasn't necessarily gentle i mean he i think he tries to be as gentle as he can while he guides you around but when he pulled me back after that kiss it was like ow ow (laughs) stop squeezing my elbow bob (laughs) so um so then they showed they did all the prizes i got all four of them i knew two of them for sure there was one i was mostly sure and another one i i think i was pretty confident as well um so now I have to punch out the holes and I had programmed this computer game at home of the whole show. And I had played punch a bunch like the week before I went down there. And I had done this weird combination of like the four holes right in the middle of the board. And the very first one was 10,000. So I thought, well, maybe that was a sign. Maybe I should do something like that. So I went in the, in the second row and I skipped every other hole as I went 
And he commented that no one had ever done that. And he pulled out the first slip and he started to say, well, um, you know, you know our show well enough to know that this should have some consideration. And I was like, how much is this? And it was a thousand. And with a thousand on the first hole, the audience, of course, is telling you, give it back, give it back. And I'm like, it's not your thousand dollars. I'm not giving it back. And again, Charlie Brown luck in my head. I'm like, if I give this back, I'm going to end up with $50. I just know it. I'm like, on the other hand, if I keep it, I'm going to find out I could have won 10,000. It's like, there's no way to win this, but I'd rather leave with knowing I have the thousand than wind up with the 50. So I was just like, I'm going to take it. So the audience boos. Bob pulls out the next slip and it's $500. So I'm like looking at the audience, like see, and then he pulls out the next one and it's $250. And I'm like, uh huh. And you wanted me to give it back. Yeah. And they pulls out the last slip and it is $50. And I was like, ha, see, <laughs> I told you so. Um, so you got to keep your thousand bucks, right? Yes. yes good. So I won a hundred for getting up the perfect bid on my prize. And I won a thousand for the, for the punch board. And then you spin the wheel, right? That's what's next. Yes. And what did um, you spin? First spin, I hit, I got it around twice and it went a few more clicks to the 40 cents. Okay. And I knew that's not going to, because I was the first spinner. So I thought I can't stay on 40 cents. There's no way that's going to stand. <clears throat> so I spun it again and I spun it harder. I should also mention that I had had horrible back pain um like the week or two prior to this trip and this was like the monday sitting on the bench at cbs something happened and it just it fixed my back but i was still kind of real like i didn't want to risk it yeah but i thought okay if i spin this a lot harder i might get it all the way around to the 60 so i spun it as hard as i could and it went around twice and on the third time around it came right up to the dollar it clicked onto the dollar and then it clicked over to the 15. So I had 55 and I wasn't feeling really great about it, but the woman I spoke about earlier who I helped win the showcase, yeah, she went to the showcase with 55 cents. So I thought again, maybe that's a sign. Maybe yep. the other two are going to not make it. So the second guy spun, he ended up, um, he had to spin twice and on his second spin, he ended up with 70 cents. So I was like, and that's it for me. Right. So that ended that that trip, that run. And um at the time the there was rules where you could not come back then, is that correct? That is correct. At that point, if you'd been a contestant on the show, you were not eligible. Even if you were the last person called and didn't get up on stage and you just had the one time to bid, didn't matter, that was the last sure. uh so one time. what year were you on? What year did you get on? 1992. 1992. And so um, then they ended up changing the rules, right? And so you were able to go back. And when were you able to go back? So I actually went back several times before they changed the rules because I had family members and friends who wanted to go. Sure. And they were you could be in the audience if you'd been a contestant. You just couldn't be on the show. Okay, so they, they like you just withdraw yourself from being You get a big X through your through your number, um Gotcha. Through through your contestant number that tells them you're ineligible. So gotcha. and you don't go through the interview process. But um so I had gone with my sister, we went to a taping 
Um, <coughs> sorry, I'm going to mute myself for just a second. I have a coughing fit. You're fine. No, you're good. Take your time. So my sister and I had gone, and then we arranged a trip where there were eight of us going. My dad went. My couple of my nephews went. My sister, a um, couple friends, and <clears throat> that was the Brandon episode, which is in the documentary. Okay, yeah. Where we met Brandon and his brother. I don't know if you want me to talk about that. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, it's interesting. All right. Um, so Brandon and his brother got in line behind us. We got in line probably, I want to say, four in the morning. Is that usual? Or... Is that a usual time? Like if you're trying to get in there and get on, is that you I mean you got to be there? Back then, you, if you wanted decent seats so you didn't want to be on the sides of the audience, Yeah. Um, like when I went by myself, I would go as early as I could possibly go because I wanted to be as close to the front as I could. Right. And usually I was. Sure. One hundred numbers, um, but Brandon and his brother got in line behind us, and Brandon is like super hyper at four in the morning, and we're just looking mm. at him like, okay, well, must be nice to be young and have that kind of energy. Yeah. I think he was nineteen at the time. Okay. So then my brother or my sorry, my sister and my dad had this habit. Well, you know, he listen or he watches every day. He knows the prices, so if you get picked, you should listen to him. Like, great, no pressure. Now I gotta help him in case he gets picked. Right. And then the weird thing was that Brandon said, and this was, we weren't even inside the gates yet. And he was already saying, I'm gonna get picked as a contestant and I'm gonna win a car and I'm gonna spend a dollar on the wheel and I'm gonna win my showcase. And we're like, okay. Yeah. Save some of that energy for the taping, dude. Not that it mattered. He had plenty, but (sighs) he ended up being. the second or third of the first four contestants being called. And we we're like, oh, my God, he's a contestant. And then I don't know what happened. He completely forgot that he should be, like, checking with me on prices. And I am I was in, like, almost a direct line between where he was in contestants row and his brother was kind of behind us. Right. And I'm <clears throat> trying to signal. And he just wasn't seeing me. And four items up for bids came and went and he was still in contestants row. And you know, now he's only got two more chances. Yeah. And he turned around during the commercial and I just kind of waved at him like, hi. And he goes, oh. and he pointed at me. And I was like, okay, now I got him. We got two chances. Let's get him up on stage. So they show a barbecue, which I'm thinking this is the, it's Duquesne. It's 1554. I was pretty sure <laughs> of that price. He's like signaling back, and I'm like, no, no, fifteen fifty-four. So he's like, got it. People are bidding, and they're bidding seven hundred, six fifty, and all these like nice little, wonderful even bids. And Brandon says fifteen fifty-four. If you watch that clip carefully, the people in the audience just are like. Oh my God! They just can't believe he said this stupid number. Right, and then the bell goes off to signal a perfect bid, and I'm like, "Well, he's got it because <laughs> I know it's fifteen fifty four. Yep. 
Bob reads the price. He's surprised. He's like, fifteen fifty four, And the other contestants are looking at him like, where the hell did you pull that from? Right. He gets up on stage. Bob's like, well, we have to have the story of that bid. And he says, well, I just took a bid from someone in the audience. And Bob had me kind of wave and they put me on camera. And at this point, they don't remember that I'm, you know, the person they've, you know, seen all these times. Right. And then Bob jokingly says, well, here's $300 for you. And, sir, here's your 200 And Brandon's, like, grabbing the money from him. <laughs> um, so that was just funny. I thought he that is. did a great job with that. So then he's got up on stage. And they open the doors, and he's going to be playing for a new car. He's already predicted he's going to win. And he's playing Let Him Roll. He's got to take, like, three grocery items and decide, is the second one higher or lower than the first? And then is the third one higher or lower than the second? And that's how he wins extra rolls. And it's like a Yahtzee game, if you've never seen it. (coughs) Excuse me. So he wins all three rolls. It was, I mean... I don't mean to sound like my mother, but any idiot could have gotten those three prize uh, products right that day. They were obvious. This one's definitely higher. This one's definitely lower. So he goes, he rolls the four dice or the five dice (coughs) and he gets four cars. He gets cars on four of the dice. You have to get all five cars to win the car. Okay. So I, being a math geek, turn to my sister and tell her he's got a 75% chance of winning the car right now. (laughs) So they, uh, Bob, you know, he tells Brandon, you can take this $500. He's like, I'm going to roll again. So he rolls the second one. He gets the car on the second roll. So now he's won his car. Then we go to the showcase showdown. And what does he land on on his first spin? A dollar. So now he spun his dollar and he's going to the showcase. I can't believe he didn't win like in his bonus spin. I was surprised he didn't win like five or $10,000 more. Right. Um, and that's pretty incredible to call everything up to that point. I mean, it's <coughs> truly unbelievable. And then he got in the showcase, and I think he passed the first one. And the second one was, like, prizes that from uh, the Prices Right cereal boxes. And the first one was if you get uh, if you find a floppy disk in your bo- a box of cereal, you'll get a new computer. Sure. And I know the computer's like, I don't know, 1,500-ish. They're all kind of over the place, but they're around, you know, around 1,500-ish. Second one, if you find a cue ball, you've won a new pool table. And I knew the pool table was 21, I think it was 2,100 at the time or 2,195. I don't remember which. And then they're like, if you find a lug nut, I was like, oh, my God, are you kidding me? A new car. So he's playing for a second car. And the car was a... Saturn, and uh, to this day, I don't remember how I got to my $20,000 bid, because I only knew the price of the pool table. I didn't, I was kind of guesstimating on the other two. <coughs> Excuse me. So I told him 20000 He bid 20000 They go to commercial. They come back. Bob reads the other price first, and he's off by 4000 some odd dollars. He goes to Brandon. He reads it, and it's 22018 so Brandon has won. He's won another car. I still to this day don't know how his total was under $40,000 when he won two cars. But right. um, we all thought because I helped him and because they knew I helped him that our group would get to go up on stage with him at the end. So we're charging down the aisle and Roger Dobkowitz is standing up the stairs going, stop. 
I'm like, what? <laughs> He's like, and he let his brother go up on stage. We all had to go slinking back to our seats. Um, so his brother went over and they, you know, looked at prizes and stuff. They went off the air. They, you know, do the door prize drawing and then they have the audience basically shuffle back out to the parking lot. <coughs> and I told my group or whoever I was going to be traveling home with, I was like, I want to at least um, talk to Brandon before we go because, you know, this he's, you know, he won a lot and Pretty it incredible. was fun and I got to help him. And yeah, so he finally comes out and I got to the, I don't think I've ever gotten a hug as like tight or as long as I got from him. Like he was just so happy. And then of course, in the documentary, I talk about how he wanted to, he wanted to know if he could have my phone number because he wanted to like keep in touch with me. And I said, well, I can give you my email address. And he says, I don't have a computer. And I'm like, dude, you just won a computer. <laughs> I just won a computer. <laughs> I was like, like he had, like hadn't even sunk in yet. It was so cute. It was just, it was funny. And he did email. <clears throat> he did email like the week after that, I think. So when he got all set up on the interweb, huh? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's hilarious. So I guess um, uh, then what year was that, roughly, if you remember? That was 2002. I think it was um, – I think we went Memorial Day uh, for that taping in 2002. Okay. And then uh, – so I guess before – I mean, there, 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 it all kind of leads up to, to one mo- one more infamous moment, right? So – um, first off, is that the last time you've gone? Uh, or have you been since? The infamous moment? Yes. So yes and no. That was one of a couple times where they didn't have enough people for the second audience. So I went to the second taping that day as well. Okay. And um, <clears throat> let's just say there were eyes on me for that entire taping. Everything I did, somebody was looking at me. It was really funny. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean the the documentary is titled "A Perfect Bid" for a reason. Um, and again, you were sitting very close to somebody, and they get yes. up. So I mean, I guess just walk us through through that story a little bit. And Drew Carey is now the host, right? Bob has he's yes. gone. So this yes. would have been when two thousand nine, ten ish, two thousand eight. Okay, uh, yep. September twenty second, two thousand eight. Okay, um, the um. So I had not gone to any tapings during season 36 because I was watching, I was seeing how Drew was doing, but I didn't really have a desire to go. And again, I can't, at that point, they hadn't changed the rules yet, so I couldn't be a contestant. Right. But at the end of season 36, they decided, and this is again when Roger Dobkowitz was unceremoniously released from the show, and the new producer decides, well, we're having trouble filling the audience. Let's let people who've been on the show before come back and be contestants. Like, that's going to fill your audience? Right. Okay. So I find this out because I was on a um, a website that, you know, where they have all this information about the prices, right? And so I decided I'm going to go. I think I must have been, yeah, I must have tracked things during season 36 because that's the, the that's all the prizes and prices and things that I used to study for my taping in September. And what I had done over the years is I had gotten it to the point where I had actually added pictures to the database so that 
I could then kind of visualize the prize with the price mm -hmm. and it really, really helped. I was learning things subconsciously yeah. or unconsciously. I don't know. Yeah. Like I would put in a, a random number thinking, I don't know what this is and it would light up and I'd be right on the nose. And I would think I have no idea where that number came from, but now I have to remember it because I got it right. <clears throat> so I would practice. I probably started practicing for, four to six weeks before I went to LA for the taping. And um, I got up early on the morning of the taping and probably, I want to say it was probably two in the morning. I, it was super early and I get to the line and there's three people. There was a, an older couple and there was a guy who'd been there and this was his 99th taping different guy than the guy I talked about earlier. Sure. This guy, um, knew exactly where he needed to be in line so that he would be right behind contestants row. Okay. So he said, Oh, you, you go ahead of me. And I was like, but you were here before me. And he goes, no, I want to be in a certain place in line. I was like, okay. So I move up. I'm now number three in line. And about an hour or so later, another guy shows up. His name is Terry. And he, was in line with us and then more and more people showed up and then Terry called his wife at the hotel and said, it's starting to get real. You know, there's a lot of people in line. You probably need to come over. And I told him, I was like, I'm happy to save your place in line. I was like, you really should walk over and walk her back here because I was like, this isn't the greatest neighborhood. Right. He was like, Oh, you don't mind. I was like, no, not at all. So he uh, takes off. They were back super fast. And, his wife's name is Linda, and she, we, she and Norbert and Francis, the other couple on the other side of me, and I would started talking about the show and the prizes and everything. And having been to now, this is my thirty sixth taping. There's always somebody who is bragging about how, oh, I know the prices of blah da da blah, and they would rattle something off, and I would just smile and nod, thinking to myself you don't know what you're talking about, but I'm going <laughs> to pretend that you do. Cause I'm not going to be the one to offend you or, um, so anyway, Linda started talking about grocery items and she was like the jelly bellies are a dollar 49. I can't remember. There were two others that she just rattled off. And I was like, wow, I finally met somebody who knows what they're talking about. She yeah. got all three of those on the nose. And then those, all three products were in the, um, the it's in the bag game that they played at the taping, which was even more like, wow, that was anyway. So we finally get to, um, you know, the moment of truth. They start the taping and Terry was, I think the second name they called and he jumps up and we, you know, we're practically in contestants row because we're right in the front row. Yep. And, um, Drew comes out. Drew was in the phase at that point where he was trying to make the entrances funny. And so that day when the door opened, he pushed a CBS trash can out on stage. And we're all like, um, am I supposed to laugh? Right. Is that supposed to be funny? Anyway. Where's the joke, Drew? So then, yeah, exactly. So he comes out. He starts the show. The first item was a sailboat. Um, I thought it was thirty five ninety five. It had gone up to thirty six ninety five, but I hadn't seen that on the air yet. Sure. <clears throat> so, um, and Terry, I don't know if he just made 
you know, did his own bit at that point. I don't remember, but he didn't get out of contestants row. Um, I think during the commercial, Linda told him, Hey, Ted knows what he's talking about. You should listen to him. So then the next item was a camera and not a clue. It's not one that was on the show the season before. I have no idea what it is. Yeah. I don't remember if we, if I gave Terry a bit or not, but somebody else won. So then the third item is the big green egg smoker barbecue, which had only, it had been $900 for all the way back to like 2003. And this is now 2008. Yeah. But during that season, it was on like in April, I think it was either March, April or April, May. Uh, first time it was still 900, but then it went up to 1175. So once it goes up, I know now I have to new, you know, memorize this new price. So we told Terry 1175. Bell goes off. He gets perfect bid. He goes up on stage, gets his $500 bonus. He's going to play the switch game, which you have to decide if the prices need to be switched or not. Yep. And I, I still don't know what happened. I swear I looked at the monitor and I swear it said exercycle singular. And the other prize was a computer. And it seemed like the price, the price that was on the exercycles plural should be the computer price because it was a weird number. Right. And the price price over here, which ended with like 49 or 79, I was like, that should be on the extra cycle. So we told him to switch. Everyone else told him not to. We told him to switch. He lost. Then when I saw the show, I was like, oh, it's extra cycles. There's two of them. How did I not see that when I was in the audience? Yeah. And so, so he, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. So then um, another contestant in contestants row who got called down um there was a washer and dryer i knew it was 2298 or 2598 excuse me i'm telling her 2598 <coughs> she ended up bidding 2201 which was the highest bid of the four drew reads the price it's 2598 she like spins around and looks at me like how did you know that she goes up on stage she plays one away for a car I knew the car was, I knew the base price of the car and I heard what seemed like a bunch of options and I couldn't track all of them that fast. Right. And then I heard them say paint and fabric protectant. And, um, I, I say it wrong in the documentary. It's not a stereo. It's a, uh, rear cargo cover. I think it was, which I know is not very much. I know the paint and fabric protectant is seven ninety one, and I know this trunk thing is not very much. So I'm thinking, okay, eighteen thousand or seventeen thousand six ninety five plus about eight hundred is eighteen thousand four ninety five. They show the game, and I'm like, okay, so it's got to be eighteen five. And those last two, I know the last one's a six because that one at the end of the paint and fabric protectant added to the five makes the six. I'm like, they don't repeat digits, so it's got to be eighteen thousand five forty six. So she starts playing the game, and she's looking at me for every number, and I'm telling her exactly what to do. And Drew's like, come on over here, Sharon. Like, he's trying to get her to stop listening to me, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Um, But she won the car first try. She didn't have to change any numbers. And then she ended up in the showcase with Terry. Uh, He had won the first showcase showdown with 90 cents. So now they're going head-to-head in the showcase. And first showcase was uh, had a karaoke machine, which I knew was a 1,000. It was one of those that was really hard for me to learn. And you'd think when it's a thousand dollars, it'd be real easy. Right. But I just had this mental block. And so finally one day when I saw the 
surprise come up on my game. I was like, okay, it's a big giant tower. I'm going to think of that as the one. And then that will just help me remember that it's 1,000. That's how I'm going to do it. And it worked. It worked fine. Second prize is a pool table, 2,800. Seen it a million times. Third prize is the high-low travel trailer. It's the 17-foot model, not the 24-foot. Um, we didn't get into how I deduced the prices of all the trailers and boats and all that stuff that you only see in the showcases, but um, I had learned how to do that about probably around 1990 Okay. from something that happened to me in, like, 1984 and it only took me six years to put it all together. <laughs> um, but if you know all the prices in the showcase except one, it's very easy to figure out that last price because you just subtract everything from the total and you get that price. Right. Um, seems real easy, but not for me for some reason. So I add up the three prices. I get 23743 They're still deciding if Sharon's going to bid or pass. So I tell um, Terry's wife, Linda, I said it's 23743 And then I said, let me add it up again just to be sure. So I did it again, got the same number, verified it with Linda, and at this point, Sharon has passed to Terry. Terry looks at us, and we're flashing the numbers, 23,743. You can see him mouthing it. And then I was like, this could be a problem if they decide that, you know, somebody got a showcase on the nose, and maybe it's going to be a scandal. I was right. like, maybe we should just go 23.5. Let's, let, let's go with something that will get him both showcases. So I started to do 23.5, and then he blurted out 23,743. They light it up. Drew says, it's a very exact bid. And I'm like, you have no idea. <laughs> Kathy Greco, the producer, she's been on the show forever. She's become the new producer. She, like, has her clipboard, and she, like, walks over to this little side of the stage where some of the production staff are sitting behind, like, a screen. And she's just staring into the screen, and I'm like, he just got it on the nose. None of those prices have changed. He's got a perfect bid, and now they're freaking out. Yep. So they do the second showcase. Sharon bids. They go to commercial, and then... <laughs> Like I say, it was like everything just stopped. And I always had dreams about, you know, going to the show, getting picked, and then there'd be something that would happen and the show would never, like the show would never go on in my dream. It would always just be like in limbo. Like the screeching this record. Was, right. And this was kind of like that moment. And we're sitting there and they start playing music again and trying to keep the audience up. Drew, I think, um, at one point, like went backstage. There's staffers on the stage talking with other folks who work on the show and they're all kind of like excitedly chattering with each other and <clears throat> I, st I wish I had timed it I wish I had thought to time it because I've heard estimates anywhere from 10 minutes to 45 minutes and I would be willing to bet it's somewhere in the middle I don't think it was 45 it probably felt like 45 and the it, show just stopped for that yeah, period it was just, yeah, they had Terry and Sharon, like, sit down on the steps on the turntable so they didn't have to stand there the whole time. And we're all clapping along in the audience to the music. And then finally, um, lights came back on and Drew's in place. Everyone's in place. And they came back up. And he read Sharon's price first, of course, because you're not going to read the perfect bid first. Right. And she's missed her showcase by less than $500. So now it's like, oh, now I feel really bad because on any other day, she would have won For legitimately sure. with her own bid. And I couldn't help her with that bid because it was not only was it a trip showcase, it was 
the first trip, like you go from the first destination to the second, to the third, to the fourth, instead of always starting from LA. Right. And so those are always hard because I don't know how to, how one you judge airfare one changes. Place to right. Right. Yeah, right. So. so then he steps over to Terry. And he's like, you know, as dry as he could possibly be. You bid, or you had the jukebox and the trailer, and you bid $23,743. He kind of chuckles. He's like, actual retail price, $23,743. You got it right on the nose. And you know, the bells start going off, and the, the perfect bid siren or whatever it is goes yeah. off. And they changed the display to a zero, and then they showed his total. He won like 56000 I think, can change. And Drew is like, Hasn't happened since 72 or 73, right on the nose. And you can tell he is pissed, right. or at least not pleased that this has happened. Um, so they, you know, they finish the show, and, and Terry, and Linda goes up on stage, and I'm like, uh, you couldn't pay me enough to go up on that stage right now. Right. I've been up there a couple other times when I'd help people win, but I was like, I ain't no way I'm going up there today. Yep. Um, so Linda goes up. And they walk over, they're looking at the prizes and everything, and Kathy Greco is standing at the front of the stage, right in front of me, giving me stink eye. Like, just the dirtiest look. And I'm like, sorry, isn't the show called The Price is Right? I mean, yeah, shouldn't this be a celebration? Somebody got one on the nose? So um, they finish, you know, the taping concludes. Yep. Linda comes back down to the front row and Kathy's again comes over to the front and she's like, Linda, Linda. And she motions her to come back up on stage. I was like, Oh, now they're going to take Linda, put her in one room. They're going to take me and put me in another room. Oh my God, here we go. Well, no, they just, she wanted Drew to autograph her shirt. So Drew autographed her shirt. They did the door prize drawing. They let us all go. Um, I talked to Terry and Linda after the show. Well, mostly Linda. She came up to me and she, I don't think this made the documentary. She handed me what looked to be a business card. She said, we want to, we want you to keep in touch with us. And I reached for the card and I was like, you could tell immediately there was a wad of bills behind the card. And I don't, that was never something I was ever comfortable with. It's right. like, I am happy to help you. I don't want anything in return for it. Right. Um, one lady who won a car one time ended up giving me a $50 bill because we all kept telling her, no, no, no. And I got distracted and she like shoved it in my pocket and ran. <laughs> I was like, really? <laughs> so Linda hands me this thing and I'm like, oh, I can't take this. She's like, no, no. She's like, we want you to have that. You were our good luck. And after they left, and I was like, what the heck did they give me? It was $200 in $20 bills. Nice. And I was just like, okay, well, she insisted. I'm just going to be happy with this and, you know, yeah. whatever. Um, in the book that Terry wrote, allegedly they meant to give me $40. And I was like, because two $20 bills folded up feels exactly the same as 10 $20 bills folded up? Right. I don't think so. Right. That was just weird. But, um, so then, like I said, I went back. They had, um, they still had seats for the second taping. So I got back in line, and <laughs> like I said, every everything I did was under heavy scrutiny. They yeah. even moved me. I was in the the back row in the middle, and someone from I don't know audience. I don't know what her title was, but she came out and like had a guy 
who was a paid audience member stand up and walked him over to where I was sitting, had me stand up. She had him sit there. She moved me over to this side. And I thought I can still like help people. Why did you? Right. Well, what happens is during the showcase, they pivot the whole turntable area toward kind of toward the doors. And so that back wall that normally kind of faces the stage, it kind of blocks that whole side of the audience from seeing what anybody in the showcase. Gotcha. Oh, that's why they moved me over. Now I get it. Yeah. But I I didn't get it. Either of the showcases at that taping, even close to being right on the nose. So I mean, I think it's kind of comical because like you said, the, the, I mean, the name of the show is the price is right. And it's not like you were doing anything illegal, and I feel like, you know, uh, that should be, like, a point of pride for them, like, that you watch the show that much or that people in general watch the show that much, right? Like, drive ratings up and that people are excited. I mean, obviously, ratings had fallen since Bob Barker left because you had said, you know, they changed all the rules, and, you know, they're obviously you, – you walked right back in to do another taping, so, I mean, obviously, the ratings were down. So, I just think that's such a – I mean, such a – a wild thing. I mean, really, from just being a fan of the show and and you going and trying to get on and enjoy it. To, I mean, and there is a podcast out there, and they kind of highlight it in the uh, in the documentary. And, and Drew Carey is kind of a dick about it, and he seems like really pissed off. And I really, I don't know why. Um, it's probably because Cleveland doesn't rock. But uh, <laughs> uh, no. Uh, well. Part of it was at the time, I think they thought it was, again, like that website I mentioned that I was a member of, or I'm still a member of it, actually. But their theory at the time was that somehow we had gotten mad because they had fired Roger Dobkowitz and someone on the show gave us the showcase bid or the price. And it's like, okay, even if that happened, I still have to, the person who knows that price has to know, or, you know, they have to get the person in the showcase to trust them. Like, there are so many things that have to happen well, and isn't, for that to play out. Isn't the, like, point of the showcase, like, both all that's getting given away no matter what, right? So, I mean, what yeah. would what would it matter? You know what I'm saying? Like, it, like, that theory just doesn't hold up for me either, and I think it's just so odd that it's something that that they would be upset about or especially Drew Carey. I mean, he's the host. It's not like he came up with the prices, right? Or he's paying, you know, for the prizes. But, uh, I guess another question I have here, I appreciate all your time. Uh, been a great conversation with you. How did the documentary come into place? I mean, that's just such an odd thing for, you know, people to find out or reach out to you. How does that all come into place? Yeah, because I figured no one's going to care about this, you know, this historical thing that happened that yeah. I was part of. You know, no one's going to care. So in 2009 or 2010, Esquire magazine contacted me, a reporter from Esquire magazine contacted me and said, can I interview you? I found out about this, you know, perfect showcase bid thing, and I understand you might be part of it. And I was like, sure. So I talked with him on the phone for like, two or three hours it was just like oh like we're doing right now correct um (laughs) and he basically told me he'd already interviewed terry and he said um he's like basically i already can figure out what really happened he's like because of the you know the way 
the information he got from Terry versus the information he got from me. I obviously have a history with the show. Terry didn't. Right. Um, they tried to kind of backpedal their story about, oh, well, we started watching three months before the show. And like three months is not enough time to do what you did. Trust me. Right. Uh, so then a, a, about a year or so within that next year, I guess, when the article came out, um, CJ Wallace, who's the filmmaker, contacted me through Facebook and said his parents had gotten him the magazine, the Esquire magazine article. So he thought it was really interesting. And he said, I want to do a movie that's loosely based on this story. And he had this whole fictitious game show idea. And he's like, what I, I would have you be like a paid credit person on the set and blah, blah, blah. I was like, okay. And again, I'm thinking this may or may not happen. I'm not going to hold my breath. Right. I'm certainly not going to go out and buy a Maserati or something with money I'm never going to see. Um, so then a couple years went by and he contacted me again. He said, I haven't forgotten about you. I'm still trying to get money, you know, to be able to produce this film. And I'd be like, okay, well, just let me know. And then some more time would pass. And then in 2017, he contacted me probably early in the year and said, I finally have the funding to do this movie. He's like, um, can you send me like the whole storyline of what happened? And I said, sure. So I sat down and typed out like what happened at different tapings and kind of how I, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> Sorry. I'm going to mute no, myself one more time. How, you know, I got infamous at that taping, how I was a contestant, all of those things. He writes back and he says, I'm just going to do a story about you. He's like, you've already written the whole thing for me. And it's going to be way easier than trying to put this whole other thing together. So I was like, right. okay. So they flew me up to Vancouver um, for Memorial Day weekend in 2017. We did three, like a maybe a two, three hour chunk of filming each day that I was there. And then that last day where it looks like in the audience at CBS with the red seats, that's yeah. really just a theater in Vancouver, but he put it on purpose because it looks like the actual um, studio. Yeah. What fooled me. So, yes. So we did that. Um, I flew home that I filmed a few things in the documentary and sent them to him just from my phone um, because I was, we weren't able to like, I guess I didn't, wasn't able to bring everything that he might want to have in the documentary. Sure. Um, we also just didn't have time. And then he got Roger Dobkowitz involved, which was awesome because he's the one who basically says they always, he and Bob always hoped someone would get a perfect bid in the showcase. Like it was on their wish list of things right. they wanted to happen and it never happened until Drew took over. And then because he got Roger involved, Roger got Bob involved, and that's why they're both in the movie. Okay. And if you had told me at some point in my life I was going to be in a movie and have top billing over Bob Barker, I would have been like, you're crazy. Yeah, that's yeah, that is pretty wild. Uh, so, I mean, it just kind of, I mean, I think it's a, w a wild thing. So, uh, it won, it won something like, like the Orlando Film Festival, is that correct? Like top documentary of the year? <laughs> Is that yeah, right? we should have learned I... early on. Uh, we should have just not gone to film festivals because that was the one we didn't go to, and that's where we won. We won Best Documentary um, for that festival. Yeah. Um, 
we thought we were going to win in Bend, Oregon, because when we went to the awards part, they <laughs> were talking about, I can't remember how, what the category was, but they were like, this film had the perfect amount of, and CG and I just looked at each other like, perfect amount? Is it us? Right. It oh. wasn't us. It was somebody else. No, that's funny. <laughs> It, I mean, it is a, a great documentary, and I hope that everybody that listens watches it. Obviously, it piqued my interest enough to reach out. And, uh, you know, like there's just a couple of them that are just kind of wild. I don't know if, if you've seen like the Mac Billions one at all, where the people were stealing the uh, the Monopoly pieces to the uh, McDonald's oh. deal. So, I mean, that was pretty impressive. Um, but, you know, it's just different things. And then we stumbled across yours and we watched it. And I was like, that's it's such a it's such a wild story and unique story because, uh, I mean, in every aspect of the word, it's no disrespect. You're just a normal guy. Right. And, and um, it just was a passion of yours. And it turned into this whole deal. So uh, it has has the documentary. I mean, I'm sure, you know, obviously people like myself reaching out, I mean, that'd be a change, but has it changed your life in any ways since that came out in 2017? I mean, here we are five years later. Not really. I mean, we, I've been recognized a couple times in public, but only um, three times for sure that where somebody actually came up to me and the first two were back to back. And I still thought that was weird. It's like, how did I, nobody recognized me until today. And now two people, right. boom, boom, both are like, Hey, I know you. Yeah. Um, I mean, just that. And you know, but nothing, nothing major at this point now. You still teach in high school or middle school? No. Um, I've actually been in educational assessment since 2003. Okay. Um, yeah, no, I, I haven't taught since 2001, not officially. Um, I've done like tutoring, sure, um, kind of test prep and that kind of stuff, but not nothing. Yeah, yeah. sounds awesome. Well, uh, Ted, I appreciate you so much for taking your time. Your time is your most valuable asset, and for you to spend it with me and share your story again, uh, pretty incredible. Uh, I appreciate it so much, and um, like I said, everybody go watch the the documentary and. Uh, uh, it's on Netflix. I'm sure it's on, on a lot of other places, but I know for sure Netflix, uh, it's on YouTube as well. But uh, I suppose the the best way to end this one, you know, like, comment, share, subscribe, subscribe, unsubscribe, do all that stuff. But I suppose uh, this one, uh, make sure you get your pets spayed and neutered. So uh, thanks again, Bob, for your or excuse me, Ted, for your time, Bob, referencing Bob Barker. Here's your signed picture. This is my picture of Holly, which oh. I need to put up somewhere. There you go. That's pretty incredible. Well, thanks again, Ted. I appreciate your time so much. Thank you, everyone, for listening at home. Uh, get your pets spayed and neutered. Guys, only green the way you water it. Mm, guys, only green the way you water it.